and turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 5. Actually, we're going to be in chapter 4 and 5, uh, the latter part of chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off the last time. Uh, there, are not, there are no notes in your bulletin, but there are going to be notes that will come up on the screen. But let me just tell you this, uh, that much of my teaching on the front end is kind of setting the context for what we're going to be looking at. So don't be alarmed like I'm 10, 15 minutes into the message and there's nothing coming up on the screen and you think that they're falling asleep up there uh, on the button, but they have not, uh, at least I don't think so. Um, Phil looks wide awake this morning. So glad you're here and uh, we're, we are going to be looking at the topic of counterfeit uh, commitment, a counterfeit commitment. We are making our way through the the book of Acts, and we have titled this series, Hosting the Spirit's Presence, because we're kind of focusing on the activity of the Holy Spirit as it unveiled itself in the early church, and then certainly we want to translate, what does that mean for us today, and how are we to operate in the Spirit, in the giftedness of the Spirit, and so on and so forth. Last week, we took a pause. We had been in Acts chapter 3, where Peter has this, you know, he tells us, crippled a beggar, the, you know, silver and gold, I have none, but in the name of Jesus, arise and walk, and he is healed. And uh, so Peter in, in, uh, is confronted by the uh, religious authorities, and certainly uh, there is a transaction that takes place. And then as we entered into chapter 4, uh, we saw that the temple guard and the Sadducees and all of the, uh, and the high priests were all coming against Peter and John, and so Peter, it said in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he begins speaking truth into their lives, and rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then let this be known. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." Now, notice he says this is an act of kindness. Uh, and so he's saying, look, we've, we just brought the name of Jesus to bear on this man's life. And, and it was the power of the Spirit in the name of Christ that brought healing into his life. This, this was an act of kindness. This was an act of generosity that God had displayed in this man's life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about generosity because generosity became uh, very much uh, a part of the early church's uh, DNA. So um, have you ever noticed that uh, when you look at a person on the outside, uh, you can certainly tell certain things about them. At least you can make some, ju some judgment calls. Uh, you might look at how they dress. You might look at the car they drive. You might look at the house they live in. And you may make certain assumptions. Well, this person fits in a certain socioeconomic status, right? So um, when I pastored a church in Alabama, I had two individuals in my church. One was a farmer. He was a dairy farmer. Uh, the other was a widow. And uh, if you were to look at them externally, the clothes that they wore, the house they lived in, the kind of cars that they drove, you would have never, ever, ever guessed that both of those individuals were multimillionaires. Uh, you, you would, no one would have ever known had, had anyone said, oh, this, is, this person, they're, they're a millionaire. Uh, you couldn't tell by looking at them externally. While in Korea on a mission trip, I purchased two Rolex watches 
um, for 20 bucks a piece. <laughs> they looked like the real thing. Externally, you could not tell these were not genuine Rolex watches. I remember when the battery ran out at one of them, which is a, there's an indicator because real Rolexes don't run by batteries, they run by motion. Uh, so I took it to Walmart and I went up to the counter and I laid the watch on the counter and I said, hey, I need a new battery in this watch. And the young lady picked it up. She looked at it and she immediately laid it back down in front of me, pushed it in front of me and says, I'm sorry, sir, we are unable to do this. We are not allowed to handle a Rolex watch, to which I started laughing. I said, but you don't understand. I paid 20 bucks for that thing in Korea. So you can get all kinds of things in Korea that are, are knockoffs, right? They, they look like the real thing, but they're not the real thing. But just looking at it externally, you would never know that. And sometimes um, looking externally uh, fools us, right? So sometimes even as Christians, if we're not careful, we try to put on a front or a persona that um, maybe we are more spiritually deep than we really are. Uh, in Christian living, uh, if you compare this with social media, for example, it makes it, it, social media makes it very easy for me to put up a front and to appear to be what I, I may not be. Uh, for example, if you uh, are on Facebook or your Instagram or whatever it is your social media is, you, you know how it works. You always present the best version of yourself. Um, you can become quite controlling about your appearances and what you post. And have you ever noticed, for example, you go on vacation and, you know, you post the best pictures, right? So you all get, get dressed up in blue jeans and wear a white shirt and, and your bare feet on the sand. Take the happy picture of the family. You post those kinds of things. You post the kids in the, in the ocean or in the swimming pool with their little swimmies on. And, and we post all these great pictures, but we never post anything about the fight we had in the car on the way there or the, or the 20th time my daughter said to me, Daddy, Daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. You went to the bathroom 15 minutes ago. Honey, that girl's got a, she's got a bladder the size of a thimble. We got to do something about this. Stop giving her something to drink. And so then we get in an argument about that. And, and then I begrudgingly pull off and we go to a gas station and we let her go to the bathroom. And I'm sitting there watching all the cars that I've already passed, passing me by. And I'm just getting more and more angry. See, we don't post anything about that. Say, hey, here's my selfie. I'm sitting in my car and I'm so stinking angry because my daughter's got to go to the bathroom for the 15th time in the last hour. All right. So, you know, everybody's passing me. We don't post that. We put, we put forth a persona of what we want people to believe about us. And so really, uh, that's what we're going to be studying today. There was a couple in the early church named Ananias and Sapphira, and they wanted to put forth a persona that they were much more generous than they actually were. And in their scenario, in their case, God just killed them. <laughs> Ooh, aren't you glad we're under, we're, we're operating in grace now, um, if you're on a date with your, your spouse, you know, it's Valentine's Day, and, you know, you put the selfie, you two, the two of you out eating, and um, hashtag, I, I married above myself, and hashtag, I have the greatest wife or the greatest husband in the world, uh, but then you fail to post the next day, you, you just got up grumpy, and you didn't want anybody talking to you, and it's like, uh, out of my face, I haven't had my coffee yet, you know, it's dangerous if you talk to me before I had coffee, um, so we are very... We are very uh, skilled at, um, at, at 
controlling our image and what we want other people to know about us and what we want other people to see. And we, we all do that to a, a degree. Um, and we judge, we tend to judge people on the basis of the outside and what we see and what we perceive. And so, again, what is true in social media can be true in our spiritual lives. We can have an outward appearance of really being spiritual people. We come to church. We carry our Bible. And, uh, you know, we pray with somebody ask you, hey, how was your week going? Uh, man, it was really going well. It was great. You know, I just really had an awesome time with the Lord. And, man, I, I fasted two days, and, and God just came down and just did some, you know, miraculous things in my life. And, and so those are the kinds of things that we talk about, but then we don't really talk about what's really going on inside of us is that I really had a really, really bad week, and I was in a really dark valley. I'm still in that dark valley, and I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with my relationship with my spouse, and I'm struggling with my relationship with my kids. And so we, we become great pretenders. And uh, that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They got all caught up in the whirlwind of wanting to appear to be what they were not actually living out, and their appearance was called to the table by God himself, and it did not end well. Now, before we get to them, I want us to set up um, the context, because sometimes when we don't look at the context, we wonder, well, why in the world would God... Uh, okay, here's a couple who sold some property, they brought the proceeds, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and yes, they kept some of it for themselves, and when they were confronted, uh, hey, did, what did you sell the property for? Did you give everything? Yeah, yeah, we gave it all, and then all of a sudden, boom, uh, they're struck dead. Why would God react in such a way, and is that really fair? And is there a danger of that happening to me? Well, we better hope not. So let's look in chapter 4 and verse 32. Now, remember that, um, and so this healing took place, and uh, Peter and John, they're confronted by the religious authorities, and remember, they came back to the church, and they begin praying, but their prayer wasn't, oh, God, you know, protect us from any further harm. Their prayer wasn't, you know, oh, God, uh, you know, don't let anything hap bad happen to us. No, they, they prayed that God would give them greater boldness. And in their praying for greater boldness, the Bible says that um, they said great in, in chapter um, 4 and verse 30, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so we paused and we talked about what does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now notice what it picks up. It says, all of the believers were in one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much, and this is a key phrase, and much grace was upon them all. And there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named 
Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart with, with that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Well, my goodness, I, I, I would assume great fear would seize you, right? You heard somebody came to church. I said, hey, how much money did you put in the offering? And they said, well, I put in 100 bucks. How much money did you really have to give to the offering? Well, 100 bucks, but they really had 200. They kept 100 for themselves. And you lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom, you're dead. That's kind of the scenario, and, and, and so we shake our heads. So let's, let's kind of look at the, the context because there are two things that are really happening and uh, the first one is that we see in these passages and in the life of the early believers is that whenever there was someone in need, whenever somebody had a need, that uh, they were helping out, right? And so obviously they were selling not just Ananias and Sapphira and not just uh, Barnabas, uh, but others were selling their land, their property, and they were helping to use that money that they had, had profited from in order to meet the needs of those who are now in Jerusalem, who are coming to faith in Christ, and they are part of uh, the early church. And so the apostles are running around with great signs and wonders, and they're drawing great crowds, and, and, uh, and they're, they're preaching about Jesus. People are getting saved, and people are coming into the church. And so the, the growth of the early church was incredible. I mean, the, the, the uh, rate at which this church is growing was just absolutely phenomenal. And so here's a small group of people who were unqualified, who uh, had no money, no power, no influence, and yet they are turning their world upside down. And why are they doing that? Because they had two key weapons. And the first one was they were completely devoted to the message of the gospel of Christ. The second key weapon they had was the power of the Holy Spirit residing on them. Now remember that whenever you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, it means that you are overcome by the, a power that is greater than your own. Look, Peter, John, the apostles, any other, any other believer in the early church, they had no power in and of themselves to bring people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all a work of the Spirit of God, and the same is true for you and I. We can take the message of the gospel to the world around us, but we have no power in and of ourselves to save anyone. We just simply unleash Jesus. We just open the door and let him out, let the line of the tribe of Judah out, and he'll do his thing. And so the same Holy Spirit they had is the same Holy Spirit that we have. The same gospel they had is the same gospel that we have. Now, here's the interesting thing. People look at the book of Acts and they say, well, why doesn't God do more of that today? Why, why is it that God is, doesn't seemingly uh, work, you know, you know, because it said they were praying for signs and wonders and miracles and, and people are coming to faith in Christ by the droves and people say, well, why isn't God doing that today and why doesn't it work now as it did then? In fact, people starting out ministry oftentimes go, well, you know what? I'm going to start a church, and I want to be a New Testament church, which means I want to be like the church in the book of Acts. <laughs> but there is one problem there, and, and I need to stop 
the story and kind of take a side trip and help you understand something about the book of Acts if you're going to interpret the book of Acts and what God wants to do correctly. You have to remember that the book of Acts is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. Uh, When you look at the book of Acts, it is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it describes what God did. It does not prescribe what we have to do. In other words, nowhere in the Bible does it call us to do everything that the early church did. Now, yes, God still wants to operate in the miraculous. Yes, God still wants to operate with the fullness of the Spirit. Yes, God still wants us to be generous. Yes, he still wants us to share the gospel, but it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, step one, two, three, four, just like the early church did it. Um, He's describing what God did in the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the story that we are living in the last chapters in our day and time. And people who think that, you know, if if God's really going to show up, there has to be, you know, the signs and wonders and miracles of God every single day. We read this and we assume that God did sign wonders and miracles every single day. Please understand, the book of Acts comprises a 32-year span of time. God wasn't doing signs and wonders and miracles every single day, but he was doing them. And it was attracting people to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I believe that in our day and time, especially we see this around the world, that people are coming to faith that the Lord Jesus Christ are doing so because of the signs, wonders, and miracles of God that he is doing through the missionaries that we have out on the mission field that draws them to the, the, to the opening, to the listening of the gospel message, especially on, among the, the Muslim people. The Islamic people. It's amazing how many are coming to faith in Christ. We have a young man who's in our church from time to time, Emmanuel Duolat, and he was raised in Pakistan. His father was a pastor uh, way back in the 60s when it was not popular to be a pastor in Pakistan at all because it is almost predominantly a Muslim country. And so his father was severely persecuted and beaten on many, many occasions. And Emmanuel is, you know, God has just gifted him. And he's taken the Bible and he's taken the Quran and he's paired them side by side. And he can explain to the Muslim people using their own Quran, helping them to understand that how Jesus is the fulfillment of that Quran. It is amazing. So on his last trip that he just came back on, uh, that was about two months span of time in Pakistan, they saw 14,000 Muslims come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel is still there. And God was moving mightily because the Spirit of God came down upon them in signs, wonders, and miracles and opened up the hearts of the people who were listening to the gospel message and they were coming to faith in Christ. Now you pray for me because he's invited me to go with him on his next trip um, in October. You think I'll stick out like a sore thumb? (laughs) White Southern Baptist preacher in Pakistan. And so we look at this, and, um, you know, here these, they, they came, and uh, Peter says to the man again, rise up in the name of Jesus and walk, and he does, and draws a crowd, and everybody hears the explanation. It was, it was all about Jesus. Um, people say, well, how, how's come you, you can't do that? <laughs> And, man, we need to be living more in community and, like, we need to be like the early church and we need to be selling our possessions and what we have and we need to be distributing it among those who have need. And, 
And there's the other group that has, doesn't have much, and they're thinking, yeah, that's a great idea. Please do that for me. And, and so we make a critical mistake that when we see God in the book of Acts, uh, as he is describing what is going on, uh, we think that he is prescribing that we have to do the same thing. And so we try to force things uh, that maybe the Spirit of God wants to do uh, from time to time, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that the Spirit of God necessarily wants to do it every time. For example, as you read the book of Acts, um, there was a time when Paul... Paul could heal everybody on the island of Malta. I mean, he was healing everybody that was brought to him, no problem. No. Yet and later on, he couldn't even heal his protege, uh, you know, the, his son in the, in the faith, Timothy, with his stomach ailment, and his buddy Epaphroditus almost died, and, and Paul couldn't even get himself out of jail, and yet there was a time when Peter's in jail, and, and all of a sudden these angels come, and they, you know, the angel comes and releases him from jail, and he breaks out, and he goes to the church. They're on their face praying for him, and he's at the front, and Rhoda comes, and they they don't can't even believe he's out and yet and yet just just a day before that event James an apostle was also in jail and yet um, he was on death row and his head was lopped off well why did God do it for Peter but he didn't do it for James and you see God is sovereign and he does what he wants to do both now and and then and he has seasons, and so again, you're talking about a 32-year span of time. And so when we come to this passage, and it says everybody was selling what they were having in Jerusalem. You know, they were they making the sales, they were bringing the proceeds to the disciples' feet because they wanted to help everybody who needed help, who had a need in Jerusalem. Well, in order to understand that... <laughs> Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. There's a section that I skipped uh, as we were journeying through Acts chapter 2, and I said, well, I would come back to it later, so let me come back to it now, because it is a very famous passage. Uh, again, uh, churches oftentimes, they lift out this passage and say, we want to be like the New Testament church, and we want to uh, be like the church in Acts, and so we want to follow very closely. And so we read this, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves. Remember, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Peter preaches. They Respond. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's wonderful. That's great. We ought to do that. Everyone was filled with awe and with many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that was an incredible, incredible time. And so they're teaching the word of God. They're fellowshipping together. Notice it says that they came together every day. How many of us do that every day? Do we gather as a church every day? We don't gather as a church every day. And we really want to be like the New Testament church. We all ought to make our journey to Jerusalem. Now, we can't go to the temple, but we can go to the Temple Mount, and we can there we can pray, we can get, break bread together. And, you know, if, if we took this as prescriptive where we have to do it exactly like the early church, yes, all the things they were doing here, uh, there are other passages that say, yes, this, these are the things that we ought to do. But it, it's amazing how we will say, yes, we want God to do the miraculous signs and wonders just like they did. he did for the apostles and like he was doing for the early church as the early church is growing. And we want that in our church, and that's wonderful. But then when we come to the portion where it says, and they sold everything they had and gave everything, it, uh, we, uh, oh, we, uh, we don't want that. Let's cut that section out of my Bible and let's move on. 
And so there are other groups who say, well, God doesn't do the, the, the signs, wonders, and miracles any, anymore. He just kind of lives off his reputation of, in the past because we have the gospel. We have the, we have the um, canonization of scripture. And so we pull back and... So why were they doing this? Why are they selling their possessions? Why are they, why are they distributing? Why, why, why all of this? And so when we come back to, to Acts chapter 4, we see that this is a continuation. Uh, I don't know exactly how much span of time has passed from Acts 2 to Acts 4. I mean, Acts 2 may be just a generalization of what was going on in the church, um, so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is the same uh, things happen with the buying and selling. And so um, please listen carefully. We are all to be compassionate. We are all to be generous. We are all to be givers. God has called us to give. And one of the ways I know that the Spirit of God is at work in this church is by the stories that I hear often over and over again where you're not just saying you're generous, but you actually whip out your checkbook and you help people who are in need. You write the check. You do what God has laid upon your heart to do when a need is brought across your pathway and you do everything human possible within your means, you try to meet that need. And so those are wonderful stories, and, and, and that happens all the time in this church. But let me explain why they were selling their fields. Remember, Jesus, Jesus had resurrected from the grave. He spent the 40 days with his disciples. He says to them, look, I'm going to be ascending to heaven. I want you to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, not Jerusalem, period, and stop there. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, I want you to take the gospel to the, to the whole known world. And so, you know, you're going to start in Jerusalem and, and go at it. And so they, they're standing there. Jesus ascends into heaven. Uh, they're standing there gawking. And, and the angel says, why are, you looking, why are you staring up into heaven? Just as you saw Jesus go, you're going to see him return. Now, in their minds, because remember in chapter 1, what did they say to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, when are you going to come and establish the kingdom? And Jesus said, well, the time is not right now. What I want you to do is I want you to go in the upper room. I want you to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And I want you to go and do what I've called you to do. But in their minds, they're like, okay, we're going to do that. But Jesus is coming back and he's coming back like real soon, like probably in the next couple of months. So now all these people are getting saved, 3,000 and 5,000, church grows to 10,000. And remember that when the spirit came, it was on a high, holy Jewish day, holiday, a festival in which the city of Jerusalem would swell quadruple in size because of all the Jewish people who were coming from all the corners of the earth and they were coming and celebrating on Pentecost and the spirit comes and all of a sudden now people are getting saved and now the early church, 3,000, 5,000, and they continue to grow. Well, well, guess what happened while all of these people were in Jerusalem? They didn't come with their Visa card. They didn't have their American Express. They've probably come from long distance. It may have taken them a month. They came with a limited amount of money, and now all of a sudden, the early church is meeting every day, and they're fellowshipping around the teachings of the Word of God, and they're in prayer, and they're, they're out there doing their thing in Jerusalem, and so all of a sudden, they start running out of money. All right, so they can't wire uh, their home base and say, hey, could you wire us some money? So now all of a sudden the church has a dilemma. How do we keep things going here in Jerusalem? Because remember, they'd forgotten about the fact that Jesus told them to move beyond Jerusalem because in their minds, Jesus was coming back, man. We need to get as many people into the household of, of God as we possibly can, and we're going for it, and we're going after it. And so they, they, they are. The, the Great Commission was given. They're, they're wholeheartedly involved and engaged in that. 
People are coming by the thousands, and now all of a sudden people are running out of money. They're selling property in order to keep them going. And after a while, the Lord said, (laughs) these guys don't get it. I'm not coming back in a couple of months. I didn't tell them to stop in Jerusalem. So when you go to Acts chapter 8, what does God do? He allows the first Christian martyr to take place, Stephen, and it was through that that persecution broke out that pushed the early church out of Jerusalem so that they would move beyond their limited scope of their um, place of ministry. Now, the other piece of this puzzle is, as the church gets pushed out and it grows, and now all of a sudden, not only are they reaching Jews, but they're reaching Gentiles. And then when you come in Paul's writings in um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you'll notice all of a sudden that the Gentile churches are taking up a special love offering for the poor Jews in Jerusalem. Remember, they sold everything. They didn't think they were going to need their farm. (laughs) They didn't think they were going to need their possessions beyond a few months because Jesus was coming back. And when he didn't, now all of a sudden persecution has broken out. Um, They have sold their possessions. And for many of them, they probably lost their jobs because of their faith in Christ, Uh, this newfound Messiah. And so all of these things began to converge against them. And so now all of a sudden the churches on the outside, they're collecting offerings a special offering to be brought to those who are in Jerusalem. Now, let that be the context for what it is that we are going to read here as we have read about Ananias and Sapphira, because there's a couple lessons that we need to learn here. Um, Now, please understand, when Ananias and Sapphira, you know, other people are selling their properties, they're bringing it to the, the apostles' feet. Certainly Barnabas did that. There was nothing wrong with the fact that they were landowners. There was nothing wrong with the fact that they even sold their property. It was, there wasn't even wrong, there wasn't anything wrong about the amount of money they brought. I mean, Peter clearly states that in the questions that he asks them. The problem came is because they tried to appear to be one thing when they were actually something else. It was an integrity issue. It was an issue of, of um, genuineness. Um, and so, you know, Peter confronts. God strikes Ananias dead. And then his wife comes in later, Sapphira. She's asked the same questions. And all of a sudden, she is struck dead. I mean, I just can't imagine Peter going home at the end of the day. <laughs> It'd be like me coming home uh, to my wife, and she's, how's your day go? Well, uh, it was very interesting. I had a counseling session, and uh, I was counseling this husband and wife, and I said, do you guys really want to work things out? Yeah, we really want to work things out. Well, you're going to have to be truthful with me. Hey, we're going to be truthful with you. And so I talked to the husband. He starts lying to me, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just struck him dead, and the wife turns around and does the same thing, killed them both. It was an interesting day. I think I'm going to make that public. It will severely cut down on the number of people I need to counsel. You see, again, um, sins of lying is just the smoke that comes from a fire. We have an Old Testament version of this, you remember, back in the book of Joshua, where the nation of Israel is going to the promised land, and God said to them, do not keep any of the spoils of war. It is all mine. 
And so there was a guy named Achan. He decided to keep some of it and buried it beneath his tent. And, of course, he was confronted and found out that he had kept some of the spoils of war, and God struck him dead. Why, why would God strike him dead? Now notice that here's the nation of Israel coming into their promised land. Here's the early church right out of the gate. What is God doing? He's setting a precedence. He is setting an example. He is saying to us, listen, I take lying very seriously. In fact, if you look at the seven sins that God hates, you'll note that three of them in Proverbs chapter 6 has to do with our tongues. And the intent, jealousy, lying, cheating, not being generous, or there's smoke from a fire that leads that back to the fire. And so uh, we can get caught up in this, right? I, I got caught up in it, not lying about what I was giving, but, but you know, I, I shared with my uh, class this morning that when I was uh, first saved, you know, I, I, I was one of those people, I craved the attention of others because I was a shy kid, I was kind of like an introvert, and I craved the attention of people, and it led me into some really, really bad decisions, and I finally matured out of those decisions, but never dealt with the root cause, and that root cause was I, was, I, I, loved, the, um, I loved the praise of people, I, 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 I was a uh, people pleaser. And when you are a people pleaser, it means you will do things that you would not normally do. You'll make decisions that will cause you to do things that you would not normally do because you are looking for uh, the approval of others because that is where you are deriving your sense of worth and your value and your purpose from. Very harf, harmful way to live, right? And so um, when you, you live under that umbrella, uh, the, it was the void in my heart that was really driving me. It was really the absence of the love of God in my life that was driving me. And it wasn't until after I came to faith in Christ that the Holy Spirit enabled me to see what, how destructive this was and why I was doing it. And he took me to the, the, to the, the, the very fire that was built in my heart at a very young age that led to the smoke, and the smoke was simply the, the lying, the cheating, and whatever it is I needed to do in order to please people around me, whatever, whatever group I was with. And so it was after I came to faith in Christ, and I was indwelt by and filled by the Holy Spirit and by the love of God that I realized I did not need that. You see, you're one of two things. You are either uh, filled with the Spirit, which leads to satisfaction and joy, or Satan is filling your heart with the love of money and the praise of people, which will characterize you with dissatisfaction and jealousy and lies. And that was the life I was living. And so here's the message that the Lord is sending to us. Two, two things. When the, Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit shows up, generosity breaks out, all right? So it's no accident that the Holy Spirit came and filled Peter, and it came and filled the church, and it was enabling them to speak the word of God boldly. And then on the heels of that, they talk about sharing their possessions. And remember the key phrase was, it says they were sharing their possession, and much grace, much grace was upon them all. Or some translation says much much of God's favor was upon them all. Listen, we do not earn God's grace. Uh, we, we do not earn God's grace, but you can set up the favor of God in your life through your generosity if you're doing it for the right reasons. And so one of the marks of the signs of the Spirit coming upon you or your life or even the early church is that of generosity. 
I mean, certainly the fruit of the Spirit, we know what that is, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness, all those kinds of things are evidences of the Holy Spirit, but so is generosity. When the Spirit of God is filling you, remember, the Spirit of God is going to draw you in alignment with the heart of God and the will of God and the purpose of God, and it's certainly God displayed in his heart to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a tremendous act of generosity on the Father's part that he would give give up his son to step in our place in order for us to experience God's forgiveness and God's freedom. And so the Bible says that the Spirit of God, part of his calling in your life is that he is conforming you to the image of Christ. And you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. And so when the Spirit of, when we get stingy in our hearts, I'm telling you, it is, it is an indicator that you are not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because God, what God wants to do is to break the hold of materialism over our lives. And, and the Bible plainly states that uh, throughout it, that the, one of the reasons why God asks us to give, not necessarily because he has to have our money, is because he wants to break the hold that materialism has upon us. And it has a pretty strong hold. It's amazing how even God's people become skilled lawyers in trying to figure out how to get around giving. <laughs> But I'm telling you, generosity broke out in this church because the Holy Spirit constantly were reading that they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And when the Spirit breaks out, so goes generosity. Here's the second thing that I see here is that we, we get to pick our reward, so choose wisely. What do I mean by that? Well, what was the result of this? People were having their needs met. Uh, we, we get this goofy idea that um, we're not supposed to do stuff for the praise of men. Everything should be done in secret. And we base that on what Jesus says. You know, everything you do, do it in secret in Matthew chapter 6. But if you actually look at that verse, it within its context, uh, he's addressing the Pharisees because the Pharisees love to do all their giving and all their praying and all their fasting where everybody could see and where everybody could notice. And Jesus basically said, listen, you're only doing this not to bring glory to God. You're only doing this to be seen by men. He says, that is your reward. Not that they were seen, but they wanted to be seen. And so he says, the praise that you've received from others is the reward you're going to get. Listen, there are a lot of people in this church and, and at other places that do a lot of things, generosity-wise, that people will never know about. And, but it's not a sin if they were to use that as an example to say, you know what? One of the evidences of the filling of the Spirit is that he brings generosity into our lives. And let me share with you. I, I've shared on many occasions, especially when I'm preaching about money and giving, and, and I, because I use it as an example not to say, look at Greg. I use it as an example to say, listen, I want to be a person of integrity, and I want you to know that what I'm asking, what God's asking you to do, what God is sharing through me to you, I do it myself. It's not you do it and, and I don't, right? So otherwise, I'd be like Ananias and Sapphira and God would just take me out. Fortunately, he doesn't do that. To give you an example, so yesterday, um, I was with a family in this church, my wife and I. We went to Zanesville to pray uh, for this person's brother, and he's living with a, um, a, um, a priest, 
And so it's the Byzantine priest and, and Father Samuel. Father Samuel lives in a house. Uh, it's a pretty large house, but it's very, very run down. I mean, very run down. The, the, the guy just obviously, he, just, he does not have money, many material things. I mean, the house is very sparsely, uh, you know, there's, there's very little furniture in there. But let me tell you about, about this man. Um, he has a heart of generosity. He's opened up his home for people who are, who are uh, dealing with addictions. He's given them the upstairs, the basement, every, anywhere he can house them, he houses them. And they can stay for as long as they want, for however long they need. Some of them come and go. Some of them are there for long periods of time. That's a heart of generosity. This was a man who, who came across a woman who was about to abort her, her baby, and he, he begged her not to abort the baby. And he said to this woman, hey, if you will keep the child, um, I'll raise it. Of course, maybe he said that in sincerity. I believe he did. But maybe in the back of his mind, he's thought, well, I'll never have to, you know, hold that one. Uh, be good to that, that word. And so two weeks later, after that baby was born, the mother knocked on his door. And she said, now, keep your word. And he did. She's now 20-some years old, just got married. See, that's a heart of generosity. My point is, it's not, it's not the amount of money you have. It's not the possessions that you possess. It is the heart that says, you know what? I want the Spirit of God to use me to open up the gospel to the hearts and lives of people. And one of the ways I can do that is by being a generous person. Sometimes when we think generosity, we, we always think about money. And we always think about what's given uh, to the church and all those kinds of things. Oh, it, it's, it's way beyond that. So there's great generosity here in this church. And so the reason why God took out Ananias and Sapphira is because they, it, he, notice what Peter said in verse 3. Ananias, how is it that, you, that, that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money and received it for the land? He could have kept some of the money. If he had been honest and said, you know what, we sold our property, we got, um, you know, $100,000, we're giving the church 50000 of it. No problem. He would have been alive. But it's because he, he tried to appear, he tried to counterfeit his commitment, he tried to lie uh, before others and make himself appear to be what he was not, that God says, you know what, this is going to be an example of, of, of integrity. It's going to be an example of, of generosity. So here's two things you need to avoid like the peg in closing. Uh, in, here's the first one is pretending, uh, pretending will shrivel your soul. All right, pretending will shrivel your soul. Projecting upon others, uh, or I mean, pretending that uh, you're in your spiritual life, we can pretend as Christians, right? We, we do it all the time. We come in church, somebody asks us, hey, how are things going? Oh, everything's great, everything's wonderful. But when you know you're pretending, you know that everything is not great, everything is not wonderful, your life is a wreck right now, uh, you, you, there's so much going on inside of you, but you're afraid to, to open up and you're afraid to, to put it out there on the table. And so whenever you keep pretending like that, your soul just begins to kind of shrivel up because uh, you, you, know, you just kind of become enclosed and, and, and you're known world around you be, just begins to fold in on you. Have you ever noticed why the Bible takes our biblical heroes and exposes the bad side of them? 
exposes their sin issues, exposes their struggles, exposes... Why? Because God does not want us pretending because he, understand, he understands what it does to us. That's what Ananias and Sapphira, they, they were pretending to be one thing when they were actually something else. My wife and I sat with a couple this weekend. Our association does a pastor's wives uh, retreat at Cherry Valley Lodge every year. And it's a Friday night, half a day, Saturday, and uh, the couple is sitting with us. They have two teenagers, one 16-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl, and they're just having some struggles. And they looked at us and said, hey, uh, we know your kids are grown. How, tell me, you know, how was it raising teenagers? And, and what, you know, what were some of your struggles? Now, we could have looked at them and said, struggles? What struggles? We didn't have any struggles, man. Our kids were perfect. Man, the only, the only struggles my kids ever had is because, you know, they hung around the deacon's kids and just, you know, it just made them really, like, bad. You know, we got that right out of them real quick. See, we could have pretended that, you know, saving my reputation, why, well, our, our kids were perfect. What are you talking about? Problems. No, we sat there and we talked about some of the heart-wrenching, gut-churning things that we dealt with with our own children and how, you know, we latched onto the word of God and we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for them for a year, two years, three years, four years. And yes, God came through and God has done miraculous things in their lives. But man, that was a deep, dark valley. So deep and so dark. There were times when I would go home and just wonder if my child's going to be dead or alive. See, pretending helps nobody. If I would have said, oh, you know, just, well, you just, here, take the word of God and step one, two, three, four, man, your kids are going to end up perfect, would have helped them in no way, shape, or form, and that would have been a bold-faced lie. Pretending, do not pretend. Number two, projecting will harden your heart. Projecting upon others what God has called you to do. Listen, God called Barnabas to sell his property, to give it all to those, you know, he, he says he, he Brought, sold a field he owned, and he, he brought the money and put it at the apostle. It said he sold a, a field. It didn't say he sold every field. I don't know how many fields he owned. Maybe that was the only one. I don't know. But he wasn't pretending. He wasn't projecting upon everybody else. He, Barnabas didn't stand up in the middle of the congregation and say, Hey, uh, I sold my field. It's time for the rest of you to start selling your fields and, and getting that money over here to the apostles' feet. We got people in need here. This, this was a, this was a, he was relying upon the Spirit of God to move upon God's li people's lives and to do that. And so um, sometimes, if we're not careful, Ananias and Sapphira, they got wrapped up in this thing. Well, you know, we want to look like Barnabas. I mean, we want to be the hero of the story. And so they just lied about what they had done. So sometimes, if we're not careful, we can project upon others what we think they ought to do, right? Some of you have a real compassion for certain things, like certain ministries or, or certain um, social issues, and you, you just can't believe other people don't have the same level of compassion that you've got, and, and you kind of look down on them, you kind of judge them because they don't. I think the whole lesson is going to be wrapped up in two statements I'm going to give you, and we're done. Number one is, when the gospel loosened the early church's grip on their stuff, it tightened their grip on each other. Now think about that a minute. 
when the gospel so works inside of you and the spirit so fills you that you begin to loosen your grip on your stuff, it will tighten your grip on each other. The the early church became so close-knit and so bound together is because they allowed, notice what it says, God's grace was upon them. God's favor was upon them all. Why? Because they they were not holding on to their stuff. They were not saying, hey, you can't have this. This is my stuff. You you can't have this. This is my. No, no. They they brought it together and they said, you know what? If there are people who have needs in our midst, then we're going to do everything we can to meet those needs because we are all in this together. We have a life's calling, a life mission, and we will do whatever we can to take the gospel to our known world. And secondly, you can't change the world with closed hands. Change begins with generosity. People want to know that you're generous, that you care, that you love. And sometimes it might be through material things that you help people with. Sometimes your generosity goes beyond the material things. Maybe it's opening up your home. Maybe it's uh, like... Uh, Father Samuel, maybe, maybe it's, um, you know, you give a car away or you, whatever it is that you do, but God gives you opportunities to be generous. Maybe it's just taking the time, sitting down and listening to somebody and just giving them words of encouragement. That can be a generous thing because time for us is one of those precious commodities in our lives. And once time's gone, it's gone. You can't get it back. So I think what God's going to challenge us with is this. If we are, you know, if we are going to invite people to come, for example, for Easter, if we're, we're going to pray for them. We're going to take the time to pray for them, and we're going to take the bold move and invite them and maybe have some spiritual conversations. You know what? That's a generous thing. Why is it a generous thing? Because you are bringing to them the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And we can just sit and do our thing and come to church and do our thing week in and week out and never take the time to do that. But all that would be is a sign that we're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Because the the heart of God is for those who are outside of his kingdom. And the only person he has to move as his missionary into the lives of those that he wants to bring into his kingdom is you and me. We're it. Angels aren't doing it. Can't. It's you and me. But it takes a heart that is filled with generosity that's willing to give. Whether it's time, money, words, whatever it is that God's spirit moves upon us to give in order to make a difference in people's lives. Let's bow our heads Father, this, this example that you have given in your word in the life of Ananias and Sapphira, Father, I think right up front we just say thank you um, that you have not treated us in such a way because you could have. We've certainly probably given you enough opportunities to respond in like manner. And so, Father, we thank you that um, when our lives uh, become selfish and sometimes we are driven by things that are not pure um, and we grieve the Spirit or maybe we're quenching Him, that we thank you, Father, that you draw our attention to these things and you enable us to 
just to come before you and to repent of our sins and to know that you are faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us and just to move in our hearts to be more compassionate, more generous with the things that we hold so dear, near and dear to ourselves. Lord, we have a hurting world. You know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And I just know that at generous, compassionate people, it, it, causes the, it causes others to rise up and ask, why are we this way? And so I pray that in the days ahead, regardless of what size our church is, Lord, we know that we, we can be generous, we can be compassionate, we can move into our community and just display Jesus in a very powerful way. So I thank you for the opportunity you've given to us to go out on Rickenbacker Air Force Base. God, you opened that door. We're walking through it, and I just believe, God, that you're going to bless in a very powerful way. I pray that, that Lord, the gospel um, just penetrates into the hearts and the lives of, of every person there. I pray, God, that you'll give us future opportunities to minister to, to these families, Lord, beyond just the the man or woman who is, is at the air base, but Lord, to their families or whatever, whatever doors you open, God, I just believe that, that you've, you've divinely crafted this opportunity for us. So may we come and may we lavish the love of Jesus on them as a means of saying thank you for what you do and there is a God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. So, Lord, just direct us and guide us in the days ahead. I pray for Vacation Bible School, even this far out, Father. Um, it's just a time for us to be generous in the hearts and lives of kids who come uh, to this church for a week of just being loved on and hearing about Jesus and learning about him and giving their lives to him. I thank you for each person that's going to be involved and engaged in that process. I pray, Lord, that week in and week out that we will be mindful of the Spirit and His direction in our lives and that He would open our eyes and our ears to the needs of those around us that we might, uh, Lord, rather than walking with blinders and closed ears and closed mouths, that, God, we would take the time to be generous, to give our time, to give our money, to give whatever it is that person needs at that moment in time in our life, to give them the gospel. Forgive us for being stingy with the gospel, for keeping our mouths shut. God, we repent of that sin. And we're asking you to fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit, that we might speak boldly, that we might give generously, that we may be a people who love in very, very practical ways those around us. This is my prayer, Father, for myself, for each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's stand together this morning. Um, obviously, this is a message to the church. But if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to know there's a God who loves you and a son who died for you that you might have that relationship with your heavenly Father who created you in his image. And it's by faith that you receive him into your life. And to the church, I, I just, uh, man, I want us to look and pray that God would open our eyes to ways that we can be generous to our community, the way that we can be generous to the people around us that will open their eyes and their ears to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call it splash, show people love and share him, 
right? So the one of the ways you unstop people's ears, one of the ways you soften their hearts is that you love them in very practical and generous ways. So just let the Spirit speak to you, guide you as you fill out those names of the people we're going to be praying for, as you give them an invite for here uh, on Easter Sunday. Um, I just believe God wants to do some, some, some miraculous things in our midst. Let's sing together.
Lord, thank you for the beautiful name of Christ and all that it represents. And now may we, may we be sent, sent into the world in which we, we rub shoulders with people. And may we display uh, through our generosity the precious name of Jesus. May we proclaim the healing name of Jesus to those, Lord, that you have brought into our sphere of influence. And may we be faithful and true to doing just that this week. God, I just thank you for what you're going to do in the hearts and lives of those who share in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you back next Sunday.